Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. Man, what a great song. Are you excited about the fact that one day Jesus will return to this world? Can I get an amen? Man, we are so glad to see each and every one of you out here on this special Sunday. It is Resurrection Sunday. It is Easter Sunday. And you have arrived on the perfect Sunday to be here. Glad to have each and every one of you. When I was 10 years old, I was only 10, and my friend Buddy Rigotti was the first one in our entire friend group to get the original Nintendo Entertainment System. And I got to tell you, we simultaneously loved him and hated him. We hated him because he got it, and we loved him because we could go to his house and play. How many of you remember the original Nintendo? How many of you do? How many of you remember it because you bought it for your kids? How many of you are like that? All right. How many of you remember it because you were that kid? That's my generation. And how many of you remember, remember it because you saw it on TikTok about old people and what they used to play? <laughs> A couple of you like that, right? So this was my generation, 1988, 1989 era uh, Nintendo. And not only did we know how to play the game, uh, there were all sorts of great games they had. <clears throat> how many of you remember Tetris? From Russia with love. That was their gift to us so many years ago. And they had a Rad Racer and Excite Bike. How many of you remember these games? You remember Rad Racer, Excite Bike? Some of you do. This was a great game. And then there's Mike Tyson's Punch Out. That was a great game, right? Is Mike in the room today? Anybody? Is he here? If you are, he's like, I'm here. Right. Good. Awesome. We're glad you're here, Mike. We know he's a Las Vegas native. Like, if you're here, that's awesome. This was a great game. We loved playing it. We could never beat you. Um, oh, su the original, folks. The original. We got Super Mario Brother and Duck Hunt. <laughs> Christians are so excited on Easter. All I have to do is hold up Super Mario, and they're like, amen. Hallelujah. We're excited. This was a great game. Did I not mention your game? Somebody's like, man, Pastor, you didn't mention the best game. What was the best NES game that I did not mention? Shout it out. What is it? What did you say? Oh, Paperboy. Paperboy. Oh, whoever said that, you're my new hero. I had totally forgotten about Paperboy. Paperboy was awesome. What's another game that was? Metroid. Metroid. Yeah, that was a good one. What else? Somebody said Zelda. Did you say Zelda? We have an official nerd in the room, folks. Got a nerd over here in this section. Ushers, can you? No, Zelda was great. Zelda was, Zelda was really good. Well, another game, shout it out. What is it? What did you say? Donkey Kong. Yeah, no, I think that was Atari. I think, that, I think they're talking about that at the crossing today. You're going to have to go over. <laughs> Pastor Shane has the whole thing going. Like, he's awesome. You go. No, not only did we know how to play the games, we knew how to use the machine. You say, isn't that the same? No, because if you're not familiar... You didn't just play the games, you, you had to figure out how the machine worked. There were tricks and tips. For example, sometimes you would put the game in and you put it down and it didn't work. You remember, you put it in and the screen would get fuzzy, it didn't work. And so what did you need to do to get the cart? You blew on it. 
some of you people are like, <laughs> remember? And then sometimes that wouldn't work, so you put the shirt over the car, remember? And there were special codes. Remember the code? How many of you remember the Konami code? The Konami code, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, select, start. Give you 30 extra lives in Super Contra. I'm not messing around, man. That was good stuff. And to really know how the Nintendo worked, you had to understand and respect the innovation of the original NES because they added something that no game system had previous and, um, and is not needed now. You see, today when you play a game, you, have, um, you can save your progress because they're giant computers. I mean, it's amazing. But back in my day, you could not save your progress. No, the game just ended. It ended like that was the end of it. And before the Nintendo, well, once you played a game, you had to finish the game while you sat down. And so you had to be very careful of how much power or how many lives you had so you could finish the entire game. What Nintendo did, was they added this little button right here called the reset. And what that allowed you to do was kind of game the system a little bit. Because if you're playing along and you knew you did not have enough power or lives to finish the game, and you're on level 4.2 and you know you're not gonna beat Bowser at level 8.4, then what you could do is press reset before your brothers and sisters saw and just start the whole game over again. It's a great innovation, which made me think, don't you sometimes wish that life itself had a bit of a reset button? Like, have you ever had, have you ever had a day that you think to yourself, man, I should have not got out of bed this morning, reset. Have you ever had a week that you're like, this week is not what the week should have been, reset. Have you ever had a conversation and as you've had the conversation, you're like, I wish I could go back five minutes and never say the stupid thing that I said. Reset. How many of you are like that? Some of us in the room have had weeks like that. Some of us in the room have had years like that. If we're honest, some of us could look at our, our move here, our start of that new job, the relationship, what we did with our kids. Some of us, it would be a reset of 20 years, 30 years. Some of us say, Pastor, I just want to restart the whole thing. So here's my question. Are we talking fantasy world or is there a reality of a fresh start? Okay, so that is what today's sermon is all about. It's entitled Reset. And I'm going to show you how the theological concept of the resurrection of Jesus Christ applies to your life today to have a fresh start, a reset that begins right now. We're gonna talk about death and eternal life. We're gonna talk about sin and being tied to things that you know are hurting you. And we're gonna talk about the practicalities of what it's like to actually start new starting today. If you're ready for it, give me an amen. amen. All right, let's talk about reset from 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verses three through four. Now, the entire sermon has one big thought, and the big thought today is this, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Let us pray. Father in heaven, my prayer is simple because I'm a simple man who needs help. I know what your Bible says. 
but I don't know how to explain it to my friends without your help. I know how it changed me, and I know how it can change them. Many today in the room are lost, many are confused, and many need a fresh start. So I'm asking you, as my friend, to give me the truth to give to my other friends. I pray that I would properly be able to explain what the Bible says. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit as I speak your holy word to your holy people. Do for them what I cannot. In Jesus' holy name, we ask all of these things and pray. Amen. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. According to the Bible's testimony, it's this. According to the Bible, there was a guy named Jesus and Jesus Christ died for your sins. You say, why my sins? Well, because you're part of the human race. And the human race in totality, well, we're kind of a screwed up group of people. We do bad things. The Bible calls it sin. We hurt each other. We harm each other. We think things that are harmful. We do things that are harmful. We say things that are harmful. It's called sin. Anything we think, do, or say that displeases God or breaks his commandments is a sin. And the Bible says, along with sin comes discipline or punishment. You do the crime, you do the time. If you offend the holy God, the holy God, by right, has to judge you and punish you for your sins. That's what the scripture teaches. But the Bible also says that God loves you, which is the good news. And he doesn't want you to be punished for your sins. And so he had a plan. The plan was, instead of allowing you to pay for your sins, he would become a man, Jesus Christ, and would die upon the cross to pay for the sins of everybody. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried to prove that he was God when he died upon the cross to pay for your sins. He did not stay dead. He was buried and he rose from the grave proving that he was God. And now he offers salvation and forgiveness to anybody who wants it. That is what we call the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you might be thinking, okay, great, Josh. I know this story. How does that apply to my life today? Well, to understand that, you have to go deeper in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because the whole chapter talks about how it can change your life. How it can change your life. For example, look at verse 53 and verse 54 and verse 55. Look at the screen. Look at what it says. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Look at your hands. Look at your hands. Everybody put your Bible down, your phone down. Some of you are playing Tetris on your phone right now because you're like, oh, I got to play. Look at your hands. Look at your hands. Everybody, go ahead. Hold them up. Look at your hands. You see your hands? Beautiful hands. Some of you right now are thinking, I should have got my nails done. What's wrong with me? I, it's Easter. I did not even get my nails done. Here they are. So look at your hands. You got them? Look at your hands. These hands are the hands you use to work. They're the hands you use to hold. Your loved one. They're the hands you use to pick up a cup of coffee because God is good. Can I get an amen right there? Your hands, amen, your hands are also, they're corruptible. If you look at them long enough, years from now, they're going to, they're going to get old. Some of them are going to get stiff. And some of them 
all of them, they're, they're, I don't know how to say it, they're going to die along with the rest of you. Welcome to church, everybody. You're going to die. <laughs> You're corruptible, you see. And then when your body goes in the grave, dust becomes dust and, and it's gone. You're corruptible. Not only that, you're mortal. You're mortal. You're mortal. You're not immortal. You're not a divine being. You're not God. You don't live forever. He lives forever. You're mortal, which means your body is corruptible and mortal. You say, then what do we do? Exactly. And so poets and authors and writers and song uh, singers have talked about this. For th Philosophers have talked about this for thousands of years. Man knows that we are mortal and corruptible. What do we do? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. You say, well, how is that possible? Man can't live forever unless man figures out a way to defeat death. And one of us did it. His name was Jesus Christ. He became a man and he defeated death. The Bible tells us death is swallowed up in victory. Now we can say as humans, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your final victory? Yes, it's true. These physical bodies will one day die. But the Bible says because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, he gives everyone that believes the same power of the resurrection to also rise from the grave, which tell us three things that absolutely change our lives. Here are the three things. Number one, thing number one that changes everything for us. Number one, death is no longer the end. Say it with me. Death is no longer the end. Say it again, say it again. Death is no longer the end. I have good news for you, friend. If you're scared of death, listen to me. Death is no longer the end. Have you ever been uh, paranoid about anything? Like scared? Can I, can I confess something to you today? I've, I've been a little paranoid lately, a little scared, a little frightened, and I'm man enough to admit it. Say, what have you been frightened of lately, Pastor Josh? For about three months, I've been going to bed, and whenever I go to lay down, I'm scared of going to bed. You say, why are you scared of going to bed? Oh, because Heather's intimidating. That's why. Are you? <laughs> she, she is intimidating, but that's not the reason. That's not why. I'm scared of going to bed because three months ago, while I was traveling in California, I stayed at a hotel, and I got bed bugs. Yeah. No, it's disgusting. You can go, ooh, it's fine. It's really gross. I got bed bugs. I had no idea. I went to the hotel, laid down, seemed like a nice place. I just got in bed, fell asleep, woke up the next morning, and I had little red bites all over me. I'm scratching. I'm itching. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm, only, I'm the only one who has to admit it. Man, I'm like all scratching, and I'm all, I looked in the mirror, and I've got red spots all over. I'm freaking out. What's going on, man? And I didn't realize. I went over to the bed. I lifted it up, and sure enough, little bed bugs everywhere. Freaked me out. Called Heather. I called Heather. She said, you're not coming home with those beg bugs. <laughs> Do not bring them from California. I'm telling you, everybody wants to move from California, even the bed bugs. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's coming. <laughs> ah, some of you, I know, I know. 
So it's been weird, you know? So we didn't come to the house and I got rid of it, but I was itchy for like two weeks. It was ridiculous for like a long time, for like a week and a half. I'm itchy and all of this. And so it's freaked me out. Now I've traveled several times since then. And whenever I go to a now a, a hotel, first thing I do for the last three months, I flip the bed, I'm looking everywhere, I'm like got my little flashlight on my phone, I'm checking, because I'm paranoid that I'm going to get bit up again. I'm living a life of fear, and so many of you are too. We're scared to death of almost everything. Fear. Why is it that you as a human being want to live a life of fear? You don't have to. But we are afraid, aren't we? Scared to death. Some of us scared to death of failure. You have a fear of failure. That's why you live the life that you live that's unsustainable. It's constantly go, 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 go. No rest for you. Why? Because you got to win. You got to succeed. You got to go. You're scared to death of failure. Some of you are scared of people. You've got the fear that somebody else thinks something poorly of you. So you've become a people pleaser. You want to make sure everybody at work likes you and everybody in your family likes you and all of your friends like you and you're the good person. And so you live this constant state of fear that everybody everywhere likes you at all times and it's draining you. Some of you are afraid of poverty. So what you're doing is you're constantly reaching out and seeking for something that is nearly unattainable and that is the security Aside from a security in Christ. Some of you, friend, you're afraid of death. You spend your life so distracted by everything constantly, music playing, YouTube on, television blaring, the media talking to you. You need something to constantly distract you from this idea that one day you're going to die. And then you go to church on Easter, that's supposed to be a good day, and the preacher looks and says, you're gonna die. <laughs> Look at your hands, they're going to corrupt and die. You're like, thanks a lot, man, you've popped my bubble. And I've done it on purpose. Because I want to tell you, you don't have to be afraid of death. Because death has been defeated. The grave has been robbed. Jesus Christ has given you the opportunity at resurrection power. Death is not the end. And if you don't have to be afraid of death, friend, you don't have to be afraid of anything. You don't have to live a life of fear for those who are in Christ Jesus. The first thing, the resurrection changes. It shifts everything. Number one is death is not the end. Number two, number two, sin is no longer the master. Say it with me. Sin is no longer the master. Say it again, say it again. Sin is no longer the master. Sin you have been freed from. Hear me, every man and woman and teenager in this room, listen to me. Sin You've been freed from it. You have been freed from the penalty of sin and you have been freed from the power of sin. What do you see? I mean sin's penalty, pastor? What do you mean sin's penalty? Like I said earlier, you do the crime, you do the time. The Bible says we have all sinned and the wages of our sin is death. Every sin. The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the whoremongers, the adulterers, and all liars will have their place in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. And the Bible tells us there is a punishment for our sin, and that punishment is death, physical death and eternal death and spiritual death 
in a place called hell. But friend, if you have been saved because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have been saved, freed from the penalty of sin. This is what the scripture says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, sup. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, well, pastor, that might be true of some of these people. I walked in here and I knew I was among the top 10%. I look around me and I'm happy that you allow sinners here among me. Maybe you think of yourself as better than the rest, but all that means is you're more prideful than the rest, which is a sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Anybody here deceived enough to believe you've never broken one of God's laws? Of course not. Even if you said it, you're not fool enough to stand and say it out loud. You'll wait till you go to your anonymous account on social media and then say, I've never sinned, right? No. Here's the fact. You've been stained by sin, so have I. And it needs to be cleaned. Lest your mark for punishment leads you to damnation. I was 15. I think I was 15. I think I was 15 when I got my first job. Uh, it was in food service. Anybody here ever work in food service before? Raise your hand. Oh, it's a joy. It's, uh, it's fun. It's fun. 14, 15 years old. I worked at a summer camp in Arizona, Flagstaff, and I worked in the kitchen. And what we would do is we'd go in early in the morning, and we'd make breakfast for all the campers, all the teenagers and the boys and girls, and we'd serve all the breakfasts and all of that. And then the last thing we were supposed to do before we left was prepare and kind of set things for lunch. My job was to make the Kool-Aid. My job was to make the Kool-Aid. I'm going to say, what was my job? You say, make the Kool-Aid. What was my job? I was supposed to make the Kool-Aid. Sure enough, that's what my job was, and I had to do it by a certain point because at 10 o'clock, the chapel on the top of the hill was going to have a chapel service, and I was supposed to get to that chapel service. So a lot of times, I was rushing through the rest of my responsibilities so I could make the Kool-Aid and get up to the chapel service, and sure enough, it was almost 10 o'clock, ready to make the Kool-Aid, had a big 10-gallon yellow igloo bucket along with several others. And what we would do is we'd fill up that gallon bucket all the way with water and take that red Kool-Aid and pour it in. And then we would take a giant whisk and a, and a big glove and we would mix up the Kool-Aid, set it out for lunch, go to chapel. One day I forgot the glove. Took the whisk, I started mixing up the Kool-Aid and I noticed that a little of the Kool-Aid splashed up on my hand and I, I grabbed the towel and I wiped it off but it already, already did its damage already stained. I said, oh, no big deal. Not a big deal at all. Finished the Kool-Aid, went up to the chapel, sat down. A couple of my friends were sitting there. I said, check it out. They're like, cool. We were teenagers, friend. The weirdest thing makes us happy as teens. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And I thought to myself, huh. Next day, everybody was gone. I was making the Kool-Aid. It was almost 10 o'clock. Had to get up to chapel. And this time, not only did I forget my glove, after the water was filled up and the Kool-Aid was poured in, I forgot the whisk. Nobody was around. And I thought, God gave me an arm for a reason. So I stick, I stuck my ungloved, non-whisk hand deep into the Kool-Aid and just start stirring around. (laughs) 
all the way up to my scrawny little armpit with my scrawny little hairs dipping in the water. Yeah. You're like, disgusting. You eat at restaurants every week that teenagers work at too, let me just say. <laughs> Lord, we don't want to know. We don't want to know. Put the cap on, put it up there. I was fine. Nobody wiped off my arm. Started walking up to the chapel. As I was walking up to the chapel, I noticed my pearly white arm next to my giant red arm. This was back in the day when it was really cool to rip your sleeves off. So it's pretty obvious. I got a white arm and I got a red arm and I'm on my way up to chapel. And my first thought was, my friends are going to think this is cool, man. So I sat in the back with my friends and I looked over at them. They looked over at me and they're like, what happened to your arm? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, cool. The preacher was up giving a lesson like I'm doing now. And he wanted to illustrate some kind of a point. I'm not sure what the point was to this day. But because he wanted to illustrate the point, he wanted a volunteer from the audience. And he volunteered me. He said, Josh, he knew my name. He said, come on forward. I want you to illustrate something. So I started walking down. And as I walked down, I remembered my white arm and my red arm. I walked right up on the platform with him. He's standing there. And suddenly his entire sermon is derailed because he notices the boy in front of him has a white arm and a red arm. Does it even come into his mind that he's about to drink Kool-Aid tasting like Josh? I don't think so. Doesn't even think. Like, why would anybody do this? So he says to me, you have a red arm. I said, yes, I do, sir. He had caught me red-handed. Oh, there. I'm out, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. That's, that's, this, that's a terrible joke. It's a true story. So I'm standing there. Now, I, I wonder this. I wonder if he had directly asked me this question, did you make the Kool-Aid today? <laughs> I don't think I could have denied it. You say, how? How could you not have denied it? Because the evidence was all over. It was obvious to him, it was obvious to me, it was obvious to everybody something wasn't right. Can I tell you, friend, here's what you may not understand. You're stained by your sin. It's obvious to him, it's obvious to everybody around you, and when you're honest with yourself, it's obvious to you too. Why are you denying it? Why are you sitting back pretending to be better than everyone else? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You are stained by sin. You are marked by your guilt and the mark is going to get you damned. You say, what do I do then, pastor? Well, first of all, what you need to do is verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. Salvation is obtained by you repenting and confessing and asking Jesus to cleanse you and you'll be saved. You'll be saved. Suddenly, you are now free from the penalty of sin. What you deserve is death and hell. What Jesus Christ does is he frees you from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Some of you here today need to receive Christ as your savior and be freed from the penalty of sin. 
But some of you in today, here today, you're already Christians. How many of you here, you're already a Christian? Can I get an amen? amen? You're a follower of Jesus? You're not perfect. Like, you're not perfect, but you're like, no, I believe in Jesus. I asked him to save me a couple years ago, or whatever it is. How many of you are followers of Jesus? If you are, say amen. amen. All right, some of, most of you are. Most of you are. Okay. What you need to do is be freed from the power of sin. And the resurrection of Jesus gives you the freedom of the, from the power of sin. See, you don't realize it yet, but you don't have to sin. You think you have to sin because you've spent much of your life sinning, but you don't have to anymore. I'm not the one who says it. It's Paul in Romans chapter 6 that says it. Look, look at the screen. It says, do not let sin control you the way you live. Do not give your, into your sinful desires. You have a new life. Sin is no longer your master. I'm going to say that again. Let me get an amen. Sin is no longer your master. Amen. Man, some of us were just enslaved to sin. No, let me rephrase that. Hear me. All of us at some point have been enslaved to sin, shackled, tied to it, serving it. The moment your sin calls your name, you come running. For some of us, we've been enslaved to greed, shackled to greed. There's something wrong inside of you, and you know it, because there's something inside of you that just wants more. And you'll do anything you've got to do to get more. And the more you get, it doesn't satisfy. You want more. Life is competition. And it's not about what you attain. It's about that you attain more than they attain. Greed has shackled you. And you feel and know that you're enslaved to it. Some of you are slaves to rage. You're angry. You're angry all the time. I'm not saying that you always show your anger. I'm saying that you're always angry inside. Sometimes you're able to mask it. Sometimes you're able to hold on to it. But if you're around you long enough, you end up boiling over on your people that you love the most and on the people that love you the most. You've got a rage inside of you. And you've tried, you've tried. You've said, I've tried to stop getting angry, but I can't help it. You are shackled to it. Some of you are shackled to lust. To lust. If people knew the thoughts you thought about them, the objectification that you have made upon men and women, the way you look at them, not as human beings, but as objects to fulfill your lust, and you've thought to yourself, I'll never do it again. I'm going to get my mind right. I've got to get my eyes right. I've got to stop looking and seeing things that are defiling me and other people. But you say, I feel this gravity, this pull. I feel shackled. I can't escape, Josh. How do I get out of this sin? Some of you feel shackled to your lust. Some of you feel shackled to gluttony. Say, oh, pastor. Man, I don't need a new diet. I don't need a new fad diet. I don't need a new exercise regimen because I'm trying to fill up something that just won't fill up. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And you constantly feed yourself to your own harm and your own hurt. You're destroying your future. And you live in a society that wants to validate these bad choices. It's killing you. It's killing you and you know it. And you say, I can't stop. I'm shackled. Is there freedom? And that's what I'm telling you. Listen to me, friend. 
Though you may feel that resistance is impossible, though you may feel that, that failure is inevitable, I'm telling you by the power of the cross and the resurrection, you are free from the power of sin. You are free. You just don't know it yet. There was a man who went to a circus. And as he was walking around, he bypassed a lot of the rides and saw a lot of the booths selling cotton candy and balloons and went by the animal enclosures. When he went by the elephant, elephant animal enclosure, he noticed and remembered as a child, the elephants were his favorite. He looked up and said, oh man, that's incredible. These are huge, giant, amazing creatures. And as he noticed this giant, amazing elephant, he also noticed it was only about 10 feet away and in front of him was only a, a chain link fence that went up to its waist. And this was no baby elephant. This was a giant, massive, full-grown elephant. And he thought, there he is. He could come right over here. Then he noticed on the foot tied around the ankle was a small little rope that tied down to a stake into the ground. Then he, put, he started doing the math in his mind. He thought to himself, there's no way that giant, massive elephant is held by that tiny little rope. Anytime that elephant wants, he could just pull that rope right out of the ground. What's the deal? Just at that moment, one of the animal trainers was walking by. He said, excuse me, can I ask you a question? He said, sure, what's going on? He said, the elephant, he's massive, but the rope that holds him is tiny. What's going on there? How is he not escaping? He said, oh, <laughs> he said, it's a mental trick. He said, a mental trick? He said, yeah, when elephants first arrive, they're very small. And in their training as baby elephants, we just tie them up with a rope that's large enough to hold them to the ground. No matter how much they pull and no matter how much they try, because they're so small and the rope's so big, they can't escape. Eventually, the elephant begins to grow and the rope stays the same. But because the elephant has struggled against that rope for so long, he assumes and has been mentally trained that that tiny little rope can hold him to the ground. So now he's a massive creature and he could escape any time. But he feels the tug and believes he's stuck. My brother in Christ, my sister, listen to me. You have been mentally trained to believe you're stuck just because you filled the tug. Oh, pastor, I'm thinking about saying the wrong thing right now. You don't have to. I'm feeling like I gotta get angry right now. No, you don't. I'm feeling like I should lust. I feel like I should make this decision. I feel like I should steal or be greedy. You're free. Anytime you want in the power of Christ is just to pull up that leg and walk. You already have all the power inside you to be completely free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. See, the resurrection changes everything. The first thing it does is it frees you from fear of death. The second thing it does is it frees you from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And the third thing it does, and we'll dismiss, it gives you a fresh start. And it's available to you right now. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Wouldn't you like a fresh start? Listen, my brother, listen, my sister, my friend, hear me. Wouldn't you like a fresh start, a clean slate? Wouldn't you like to press the reset button on some of your biggest mistakes? Some of you right now are afraid. I may have mentioned your fear or maybe I didn't, but you've been living in a perpetual cycle of fear. You can reset that. Some of you are stained by some sin and you're like, it'll never go away. And I'm telling you, not because you're good or because you're tricky, but because Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, you can be free from that. Some of you have had a really bad month. Some of you a really bad year. Some of you have a very bad couple of years and you're like, I can't get out of this cycle. I'm telling you, friend, today can be the first day of the rest of your life as they say. You can reset. And now I wanna speak to the person and I know what happens on Easter. I am so glad you're here. But some of you as Christians, this is the first time you've been back with God for years. In fact, you felt kind of weird showing up to church. You're here today and you're kind of looking around and you're like, I'm not sure. I got to get a fresh start. What am I going to do? You haven't been walking with God like you used to. The days where you used to love to be in the Bible, the day you love to be in prayer, the day you love to be in small group and study church and go and you used to love all this. And you're like, I'm not sure. I need a fresh start. Friend, can I tell you, the moment you walked in this room, you already pressed the button. Your restart has already begun. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm applauding you on what you've already done. You already have started fresh even now. And with the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can continue to do just, just that. You see, that's why I wrote this sermon to be a, a prequel to the next three Sundays. See, in the next three Sundays, I'm preaching a three-week sermon series that tells you how to do what I told you to do today. Today, I told you, fresh start, restart, it's yours. The next three weeks, I'm giving you the step-by-step of how to actually change your life and have a fresh start like never before. I hope you will. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I'm so grateful and thankful that you've brought us here today because in reality, you've given us an opportunity. You've given us a button. And, the, and, and we might be thinking to ourselves, it just sounds so easy. But it wasn't easy for you. You suffered on the cross. You shed your blood. You died to give us eternal life, freedom from sin, and to have a new life in you, a fresh start like never before. I pray that we would receive that gift. Right now, I specifically pray for my friends who are not yet Christians, but need to be saved. They're stained by their own sin and need to be cleansed. I pray today they would confess their sin and receive you as savior even now. With your heads bowed and eyes closed before we leave today, I want you to hear my voice, especially if you're here for the very first time or you're not yet a Christian. 
Friend, you're among friends. You're, you're here because God brought you to be saved. You understand what it is to sin. You know that your soul is marked for guilt. You know that your soul is stained by sin. And you've been trying to cleanse it. Cleanse it by doing good things, by doing religious practices, by trying to help others. But you know the truth. No matter what you do, you can't make up for your bad mistakes. What you need to do is ask Jesus to cleanse you. Would you do so right now? I'm inviting you right now to call upon Jesus, pray to him, and ask him to save your soul. Would you silently in your heart pray to God right now? Say this with me to God. Quietly in your heart, say this to God. Say, God, yeah, I'm a sinner. Tell him. I'm stained and I'm marked for punishment. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Tell him. I believe you were buried and rose from the grave. I choose to believe. Tell him. And Jesus, right now I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to make me a Christian, to give me eternal life, to forgive my sins. Tell him. And to make me a follower of yours for the rest of my days. Jesus, save my soul right now. Please. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, my friend, we believe that if you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior, you were born again. We are thrilled for you and with you. And in a moment, after I'm done praying, I will show you how you can let us know about the decision you made. We're so happy you're here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to study your word together. Thank you for meeting with us even now. Bless us, Lord, as we leave this place and be with us as we go away and come back next week. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.